Yo, yo, yo. What is up, everyone? Welcome to the Whiskey Sessions. We're here for another episode. This is A-Mets. I'm B-Pimp. Apologize ahead of time that the audio recording is not up to our normal standards, but something happened to the microphone or our connection or something. We're not a bunch of IT nerds. We're not going to figure it out. So we are using our laptop microphone. We're going to buy some replacement face mics. Yes. That are just like things that go over your entire face and it catches all your voice. I think we should do that from now on. But uh, thank you for joining us for this episode. We've got a good top five list for you. It's top five. Whoop, burped. We're doing top five <laughs> stand-up comedians. I don't know about your list. Mine is kind of a mix of all time and current. Definitely leans more toward current because probably that's just more of what I've seen. But uh, mine's a little more old school. I would say a little more old school. I think the nice thing is it does seem like there is kind of like a renaissance with stand-up. Com- yeah, comedy lately, and I think Netflix has had played a major part in that. Mm-hmm. Just there and CISO and CISO, there are like a million ways to watch stand up now. Plus, podcasts are long form vehicles for stand ups to yeah, get out their material. It really is like a, a golden age of stand up comedy and other types of comedy as well. But there's just like so many outlets and opportunities uh, that. I've at least gotten the opportunity to hear a lot of stand-up comics. I'm not sure I would have otherwise. Like, one of the good ones that I've enjoyed over the last year or so was uh, Ali Wong, who we kind of just on a whim watched her stand-up special on Netflix, which came out in 2016. Baby Cobra? Baby Cobra. And she was, like, very pregnant during Yeah. It, which was cool. And, and I realized, Yeah, and Raji. And I, I like, noticed I, I don't think... Unless they were, like, just a tiny bit pregnant, and I didn't notice. But I don't think I'd ever seen a stand-up special where the woman was, like, noticeably pregnant during it. And that was great. We ended up seeing her live. So did Lisa. We might have been at the same one. Although I think she did two shows that night. And we went to the late one, which was almost too late. Because we're old people now. But, uh, no, she was great there, too. And, um... Yeah, she's funny. No, she is really funny. I actually... Have her on my list. Not to give away anything yet. But uh, before we get into our top five, we of course have a whiskey to drink. Oh yeah. And Brian, why don't you tell us what whiskey we've got for this episode. This is a gift from Lisa, aka the Murph. The Murph. It's Larceny, which is a Kentucky Street bourbon whiskey. It's a very special small batch. Very special small batch. And it's 92 proof. Ooh. That's the perfect proof level. Which is 46% alcohol. Just divide it by two. Um, Johnny Fitzgerald's weakness was fine bourbon, and he faced temptation every day. As a treasury agent with the only set of keys to the rickhouses, taking from barrels was easy. But he didn't just take from any barrels. He took from the best. Some say he was a thief. Others claim he was a man of great taste. This is the legend of larceny. Unlock the smoothness and decide for yourself. So basically they're saying, like, theft is okay if you're sealing the best whiskey. I don't disagree with that. All right. So you're getting behind this whole theme of being a thief. I like it. Why don't we try it out? All right. Cheers. Cheers. I like it. Yeah. That's a smooth one. 
Um, it is smooth. I unfortunately let it sit in my ice a little bit too long. Yeah, I think we both did that, but I could still get the flavor out of it. Mm-hmm. On the scale of that drink is smooth versus getting the boot, I'm giving that a smooth. Giving it another smooth, which since we started this scale, it's been four straight smooths. Yeah, we've been smoothing it up. We have been. I think we're due to drink a real shitty whiskey. Just need to get an Evan Williams repeat episode. Yeah, right. Are there a boot? Are there other flavors of Evan Williams? I didn't see if there were. Probably not, but we could look for them. Right. Just revisit it. This one's got Larceny has a unique flavor to me. It's like a mix of a scotch and a whiskey, like a bourbon whiskey. It is a little bit. Almost. Yeah, it's I got like, like a little bit of a peat dryness, but uh-huh. it also is smooth enough where you can tell that it's like a bourbon versus... Yeah, it does seem like a little bit of a tweener uh, in that sense. But it's very good. Passes the... Passes the smooth test. Smooth test. Doesn't get the boot test. And that's all we're My looking for. My boot's staying in the cupboard, which if you're, is where I keep it. And I know we have a lot of people at home keeping spreadsheets of how we rated the whiskeys. Yeah. So put another one in the smooth column. And Before they just had like vague descriptions. <laughs> yeah, real vague descriptions. And now they have a... Basically every description of a whiskey we gave before was like, um, that has bite to it or maybe has body to it. But what are we? We're not like connoisseurs. No, I mean, I know if I like it or I don't. And if I don't give it the boot, yeah, it's doing well. Well, and that's the reason that we did this whole like system to begin with is to give you a very clear idea of qualitatively what we think about the whiskey. Like it's just a kind of like a Siskel and Ebert when they gave thumbs up or thumbs down. Like yep. that's all you need to know, really. What are we gonna do? We're we gonna give something two and a half stars. We're telling you either to get it or don't. Right. I'll go so far as to say, like other alcohol rating websites, like Rate Beer or Beer Advocate. That they give you some kind of weird percentage or a scale out of 10 or a 5 or even out of 100 is ridiculous. It should be a 1 or a 0. <laughs> That's You're really you committing to this binary. No, I, I think I, I am. Yeah. I like it. Everything else in between is just pussyfooting around the issue. Filler. Alright, our top 5 for today, as we mentioned earlier, is stand-up comedians. And it was... Really difficult to put this list together. I don't know about you, but I have some such like glaring omissions. I feel terrible about them, but I can't. I can't do anything. I'm over prepared. I have a list of a hundred standups that I've had in my Evernote for a year now. Because wow, last year Chris, like I mentioned offhand, the idea of making a list of comedians, mm-hmm. and he got so annoyed by it that I. Did it out of spite and made a list of a hundred just to read them off to him five at a time, which I did. Nice. Read all hundred of them. And he didn't punch me, stab me, or leave. That's a good sign. He's a true friend. Sign of a good friend. Yeah. Yeah. He put up with it for that amount of time. But a question is from then until now, have you changed anything in the list? Mm mm. Not a thing. You are steadfast in this. No, I've been accused of. I was accused of adding Sinbad <laughs> to my list because I like Sinbad, and some of my friends did not believe that I like Sinbad, but he was always on there. 
Well, I mean, you're talking about 100 comedians. I'm not sure Sinbad wouldn't be on my list, too. Come on! Yeah, Sinbad's great. All right, so let's get into it. These are our top five stand-up comedians. More than four, less than six. It's the top five. All right, B-Pimp, what is your number five? My number five comedian is Patrice O'Neill. Patrice. He R.I.P. Patrice. Um, I'm putting him number... I have a very specific criteria for why he makes the list at number five, because I have a lot of contenders. Oh, yeah. And I'm going to name some of them in the honorable mentions, but he has to be on the proper list, because... If I think of five comedians who had made me laugh the hardest, mm-hmm. he would be on it, and that's what—that's kind of what I'm doing loosely. That—that that makes sense. It's like, like there are a few stand-up specials where I've laughed like so hard it's almost like kind of uncontrollable. Yeah, and if you can elicit that kind of response, like that's—he just would get me because his thing was—he was very caustic, like, and he was very. Of like provocative, mm-hmm. but like where you would compare maybe like Andrew Dice Clay as being like he wasn't it didn't land enough to make him like respected. He was like kind of a mockery. Yeah, Patrice O'Neill got the cred because like he was being provocative. He was being offensive as part of his routine, but his he was so funny that like even the people he was talking shit about. Would have to laugh. Like, he had some misogynist, absolutely ridiculous shit that he would say about women. Yeah. And the loudest laughs you would hear in the crowd were female voices. Because it was so funny that, like, it trans... It's like, that's my bars. Like, it transcends common, polite decency in society. It's like, it's so funny that it doesn't matter what he's saying. Right, well... It's just how funny it is. And if a stand-up comedian can get to that point... Like, that's perfect. And that's why we need... That's, like, for me, that's the bar for the top five, because, like, I could come up with a thousand comedians that I've watched. So, like, you... To get in that top five, you have to, like, really perform at a really high level for me. Well, I agree. And, like, some comedians don't get away with being that offensive, but I only think it's because they're not that funny to begin with. Right. And, okay, now, I know he's probably on your list, but I'll... I'll say this because it came up like a couple of years ago, that Seinfeld complained that he doesn't tour colleges anymore because they're too PC and they're too whatever. It's like, no, Seinfeld, you're not relevant to college students anymore. Yeah. Sadly, it's true. It's not because they're too PC. No. Like, their favorite comedians are way more not PC than you've ever been. Yeah. I don't know. That just he's never. Me. Yeah, Lu, uh, I was going to mention Louis C.K. because he's raunchy, but like Seinfeld was never pushing the envelope. He no. was very safe. Like he's hilarious, but he like, is. It's it's almost more impressive to me when like Jim Gaffigan or like Seinfeld or those guys who work clean because mm-hmm. it's it takes a lot out of your repertoire when you don't talk about any subjects that are like even a little bit iffy. That, that's tough. You I, mean, know? I noticed with, like, Jim Gaffigan, like, that means he's going to be talking about food a lot. Which he does. Yeah. But he makes it work. Yeah, he's a funny guy. Yeah. All right, my number five is Maria Bamford. Oh, Maria Bamford. 
And I think she's really funny. She's really funny, and she's funny in a way that no other comedian is. Like her, just like quivering awkwardness. Yeah, is so. The funny thing is, she is like that. Yeah, which I I think I know she deals with like tons of probably depression related issues, and you think she's bipolar? Bipolar, um, and you know a lot of comedians have issues, but uh, just like her delivery is so. It feels so oddly, like, genuine. You know, like, Louis C.K. got to the point where his stand-up started getting good once it started feeling genuine. Like, he kind of started out more absurdist. Yeah. Um, not that it wasn't funny. No, but like, that, you're right, though. He kind of gained popularity. It was like, okay, he became relatable. And I think that is, like, Maria Bamford is, like, phenomenal with that. I personally identify with her a lot. Like, I don't yeah. have a diagnosed mental issue I'll diagnose you if you want you can <laughs> but, but like I just feel some kind of like specifically I'm thinking of that special she had where she was in her parents living room mm-hmm. and she did that one where it was like just her parents on the couch watching and that dude that plays piano and like chimes in every once in a while the comedian that was just I've watched it so many times like it's just so good well, because she like disarms everything that you could possibly have coming in, like a preconceived notion about right. comedy. It's brilliant, and she somehow There's no crowd. So, yeah. There's no ego. It's like, if anything, it's like she's demeaning herself. Yeah. Because she's saying, my show... I mean, maybe not really. Maybe she's like saying, I'm so good that like I'm going to show you this comedy that I just performed in front of my parents on their couch. Like, this is my special. <laughs> like, here... Yeah. And it's so funny that it doesn't matter. Like, she doesn't need a crap. No, she is She is really, really funny. And yeah. somehow, like, totally relatable. Yeah. Who so, is your number four? Number four for me is going to be David Cross. Yeah, I had s- such difficulty leaving him off my list. You don't have him on your list. I know. Oh, my God. I know. He's great. I mean, I understand, like, he's one of those guys that I understand when... Like, if someone says, I just can't handle David Cross, I understand. He's mm-hmm. a lot to handle. He's, like, he's smart. He doesn't give a shit. That, I mean, that's really it. Like, he just doesn't care if he comes across as, like, pretentious or if you don't get it or if, like, he doesn't get laughs. He doesn't really care. Yeah. He's just, like, this is what I think is the best material that I can present. And he just trusts that it will live up to it. And if you listen to, he released an album called Shut Up You Fucking Baby right Classic. after George Bush, or right after the Iraq War started. So it was like 2000, late 2003 maybe. Uh-huh. And if you go back and listen to it, now it's 14 years old, which is crazy to me because that's like, that is the album to me that is the seminal, like, for me, comedy album that yeah. I go back to. And if I go listen to that now, it seems like a, like, millennium ago because he's talking about fresh wounds from like 9-11 that were like less like two years old yeah and things that like topics that now seem dated but like still you can extrapolate what he's talking about and get that like emotional feeling I do because of the way the political landscape is now yeah and I do love him making fun of like Atlanta yeah where he's from I think it's funny that he's from Atlanta yeah it doesn't make any sense yeah you think he would be from like LA yeah, or yeah, LA or like the Boston. Northeast or something. Yeah. yeah, but no, that 
that stand-up special is... It's hard that I left him off my list, but he... David Cross is really funny, and that Shut Up, You Fucking Baby is a really it's funny great. special. It's unbelievable. When he's talking about, like, the soccer moms and all the people buying, like, those... These colors don't bleed. Like, all those, like, <laughs> infomercial American flag bullshit things, like, the people that were falling for it. And then he was talking about, like, right after 9-11 happened when he was, like, in... He lived in the area that, like, where he had to leave where he lived because of the fallout from that. Uh-huh. So he's, like, that close. And then he's talking about, like, walking down the street the day afterwards and he sees this dude, like, rollerblading, like, this flamboyant gay guy rollerblading and just, like... Completely doesn't care, and is like he he attributed he did his whole bit with it like he attributed like a name to him and like did this voice and whatever, right? But just like that kind of stuff where like I feel like people will listen to that in twenty years and be like, holy shit, that guy lived in New York and like this was right after nine eleven, and he came up with this. And that makes me realize he's also really good at like kind of setting up a scene. Yeah. Um. And I also just think it's so funny at the end of that special when he's reading, like, the Atlanta newspaper and, like, one of the headlines is, and that he's just, like, ripping on is, like, yes, you can drive your car in heaven. <laughs> like, like, a real headline that says that. And it was the biggest newspaper in Atlanta. It's the Atlanta <laughs> Journal-Constitution, which yeah. is, like, the New York Times of Atlanta. <laughs> and that is an article. All right, my uh, number four is Richard Pryor. Which I, I caught up a little bit on Richard Pryor today, actually. Uh, I was watching some clips. And I think the thing I realized it even more after watching this is his energy is... I mean, it's because he was, like, hooked up or something. And you can even tell in, like, uh, a couple of his, like, more popular stand-up specials um, that uh, he is, like, literally, like, sniffing. It's <laughs> <between laughs> joke. But he just... He was... His energy... And he was just funny as shit. I love his bit where he's talking about how, like, he was uh, amateur boxing. And he acts out the whole thing. He, like, does... He moves around on stage a lot. He uses the microphone to, like, simulate punching. And he says, like, a thousand words in a minute. And just... I don't think the energy... That kind of energy has been, like, replicated by any stand-up ever. Even, like, Eddie Murphy Raw didn't really, like, kind of touch that, like, kind of level. Yeah. He's and funny. He is really funny. And I kind of had forgotten how funny he was because he wasn't in our generation. Right, yeah. He was, like, the... He's the... It's, it is strange, though. Like, he's... Or not really strange. It's, like, a testament to him. Like, he's become held up as an example of, like, that generation of comedy. Yeah. Over time. And it's so funny. I saw another clip where I think it was, like, the Ed Sullivan show or something, and it was, like, uh, earlier mid-60s, and um, it was a lot different. It wasn't that coked-out energy. It was, like, real sedate, playing to what I'm assuming was maybe an entirely white audience, and, like, it was, you know, that time of the 60s a lot different than the 70s into the 80s. But, uh, like, that was, like, jarring to see, too. Like, his jokes were much cleaner, and the delivery was a lot different. But yeah. he said he had, like, a hell of a career. Yeah, absolutely. He, he, and later in his career, he became, like, a movie guy. Yeah. He had a lot of success with movies. Yeah. But just as a pure stand-up comic, the 
I don't think, like, out of everybody on my list, his energy is the best. Yeah. So I'm on my number three at this point, I believe, right? Uh, yes. I'm going to go with number three being Jerry Seinfeld. All right. And I think the reason I'm going to do that, it's tough. There's a lot of people, like, there's a domino effect. There's a lot of people that I could have included elsewhere on the list that, like, I could see Seinfeld not even making it. This is a very hard list to put together. Yeah, but ultimately, I do want to include him. The reason, even if you put aside, like, the success of his show, if you just rate it on, like, his stand-up and his skills as a stand-up comedian, he was not, he never had to rely on, like, dirty jokes, the shock value of swear words, image, like, his image was boring. Like, he wore, like, some kind of pattern shirt, jeans, and sneakers. Like, he didn't have any gimmicks. No. Other than really, like... The catchphrase, what's the deal? What's the deal with that? What's the deal with airline food? Like, (laughs) just like that kind of thing. But it was... And you know how always people, like, the hack thing to do... Or, not hack, but, like, the cliche thing to do is say, oh, he was, like, observational humor. Every stand-up comedian is observational humor. Unless it's, like, the most absurd... Like, even if you think of, like, Eugene Merman, he's still... Oh, it's still observational. It's still observational. It's just, like, he's coming at it from a weird perspective. I will say, I I like Eugene Merman a lot, but I just caught one of the stand-up specials, and I thought it was kind of thin. Are you talking about... Did we watch that one in when he was in Arizona? Yeah. Is that it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was. Like, I thought he had some really funny stuff in there. Really funny stuff, but it felt stretched or something. Yeah, it was weird that he had, like, the cowboy shirt on, too, and, like... Yeah. Like an Arizona thing, maybe he's a f- trailblazer. Perhaps. Well, he wasn't in Portland, but maybe he is because like he nobody films specials there. It's always like Seattle's a big town for stand-up specials. It they is have good crowds. I Chicago think, has good crowds. New York, yeah. Like there's certain towns where people usually go. I think so many comedians film their stand-up special in Seattle because uh, Seattle crowds will not. There's no negative. There's no negative. But they're also, like, not to understand, because, like, they have good energy. Yeah, I would say so. Like, I mean, like, I'm not even trying to denigrate my own people. But no, like, I know you're not, but, like, I know what you mean. You. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, it's, like, you have a, you know what your floor is with risk. Right. But, like, Pat Oswalt did one there, and he said, that's, like, the only place he really wanted to do it. I you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, for him, that was, like, the number one sin, but. But, yeah, I've noticed that. It's, like, it's kind of a point of pride, but I've noticed, like, all these goddamn Seattle specials. Yeah. That's the place to film it, I guess. If I ever want to become a stand-up comedian, and I feel like my material is so-so, I am just playing in Seattle. You're going home. Yeah. My number three is a comedian who filmed her special in Seattle. Ali Wong. Aha! Baby Cobra. And you know what I like about, um, and I talked about this earlier in the special, so I won't spend forever on it. But I also like that the cover of her stand-up special on Netflix shows the Smith Tower in Seattle, which, if you're not familiar, is like uh, Seattle's oldest skyscraper. I mean, it's not huge. It's like 400 feet tall. But, uh, you know, every time it's Seattle, it's they're showing the Space Needle, probably. or maybe Safeco Field. Yeah, Safeco Field, or some background shot of, like, Matt Rainier or something arena. like that. You know, the Key Arena, which is barely occupied. Yeah, what's going on with the Key Arena now? 
Uh, I'm not sure if the Seattle Storm play there, and then for a little bit, and I'm also not sure if this is still the case, one of the colleges was playing there, but not UW. It was like, might have been the Seattle University or something like that. Oh, okay. And then they have concerts, but I just don't think their occupancy is that high overall, which is too bad. Sonics. But, um, yeah, Ali Wong, super funny. And you know what I actually liked about seeing it live? Uh, we went to the Chicago Theater. Like, the crowd probably was, like, maybe three-quarters Asian. It was, like, cool to be in that environment. Yeah. And a lot of her jokes, like, I didn't totally relate to them. They were, like, even more so than her special, I think, because it was, it was a new uh, set. We're, like, pretty Asian-centric. Yeah. She, I did notice, like, she had a tendency to, like, do jokes where, like, I didn't understand all of what she was referencing, but it still, like, landed to me as being funny because she did a good enough job, like, giving me a reference. Yeah. I'm almost positive she wore, like, a velour jumpsuit. I mean, we were kind of far away, so it was hard to tell exactly, but I think it was, it was kind of a ridiculous getup. That's great. But yeah, she's my number three. Who is your number two? My number two, and it's very close, is George Carlin. George Carlin. I am a huge George Carlin fan. I always enjoy it. Like the fir- actually, my first exposure to George Carlin was on Training Time Station. Really? On PBS when he was like the conductor. Oh, yeah. Thomas the Tank Engine. Yeah. Um, and I didn't realize at that point like what his... Um, background was as far as stand-up comedy but then like once I got into it and like as I got older because he he was always like politically anti-establishment and all that stuff like pretty out there oh absolutely and like I agree with that like that's how I feel but I also read his books too and like that helped because his books were like crystallized versions of like his stances from his stand-up yeah no his stand-up is like it you almost kind of want to be, like, prepared for it. If yeah. you're going to it, think you're going to get a bunch of, like, cheap laughs out of it. You will no. not. You will not enjoy it. <laughs> you may get, like, he'll give you some, like, the closest thing to cheap laughs, he'll, he'll do stuff where it's, like, based on his delivery and, like, he'll do, like, rapid-fire things where, like, he's playing with language. Yeah. So, like, you can appreciate it even if you don't agree with, like, what his topic is. Definitely. Generally, it's pretty... Yeah. Very, you know, political, pretty, like, angry in tone. Yeah. But, like, caustic. one of the... Yeah, caustic and one of the smartest just, like, stand-up comedians oh, yeah. I've never heard. And if you... And, like, the thing that... I mean, this could change over time because everything does, but, like, when I go back and watch a special of his or, like, read one of the books I have by him, there's always a number of points that he makes that, like, I go, wait, that book came out in, like, 1997. Mm-hmm. And like I'm reading in 2017, and still it rings true. Makes him look like he's like a fortune teller. Yeah, because he just had that kind of like it's almost annoying. It's like he had that way to like see how things were going, and I think a part of it is just because he's very like satirical. So he had that sense like that any good like really successful like comedy writer or like you know like the Farrelly brothers are like. Well, maybe that's like Cohen Brothers or something. Right. Where they have that like really good ability to just say, this is something that I could parody or this is something that I could comment on and like extra- extrapolate it out. I think he had that. Oh, 
he definitely knew that. No, for sure. sure. Uh, my number two is Louis C.K. And uh, there's some probably recency bias there. But he's just hit a point in his career where it's almost like he can't not be funny. Like, he's, he's found some sort of kind of groove. And I think it, it, it sort of, like, turned right around maybe 2008 or 2009. And it was, like, probably toward the tail end of, like, his marriage. Maybe that helped. I don't know. But he went from, like, a pretty absurdist comic to a lot more observationalist, a lot, like, kind of darker, like, reflecting on his own life. And just kind of, I don't know if it, it's all totally genuine, but, like, more in the mold of, like, well, I don't give a fuck. Yeah. This is how it is. Mm-hmm. And it has served him really well. Yeah. He's my number one, so I might as well... Keep on going. Combine it. Um, he just... I don't know. Like, it's not only... What you're talking about is very true. Like, he did have a switch, and he does have a special ability, I think, to, like, take embarrassing things from his own life. Even if it... Like, you're right. Even if it's, like, somewhat fabricated or, like, somewhat embellished, taking those kind of stories and turning them into something where anyone can really, like, find a piece of it to grab onto and, like, find it funny. Yeah. I think that's what has been the key to him becoming so huge, is that you can get people from, like, all kinds of different demographics that will go, yeah, I understand what you're saying. You know, you could be a parent, you could be... I've watched some of his stand-up specials with my mom, and she has been crying. Laughing. Laughing. Yeah. No, I, uh... Yeah, it is funny. It's kind of, it's, even though he's not a clean comic, like, it, it's, it's still... He's like the opposite of that, to be honest with you. Yeah. But it's still kind of, he's still relatable. Yeah. So it's not like he's, he's crude in like a, in a way that's only like relatable to like certain generations. He's not, yeah, he's not like shock value. He's, I'm going to tell you something that when you first hear it, Whatever, either if it's the language he uses or, like, it may be uncomfortable, but then, like, once you listen to his whole bit, you're going to go, oh, okay, I understand where you're coming from, and then, like, find a part of it to latch onto, and then that's what makes it so amazing to me. Yeah. So are we to my number one? Absolutely. And my number one is Dave Chappelle. That's hard to argue with. And the reason I put him number one is because I think Killing Them Softly is the greatest stand-up special I've ever heard. I agree with that. I feel like it's like a flawless hour. Yeah. Um, He's got, that is the one that's got the story about the baby that is dealing with yeah. crack. Baby! <laughs> what are you doing, baby? <laughs> He's like, this baby's out at 2 in the morning. I'm selling weed. <laughs> no, he's got that. Uh, he has like. Is that uh, with his friendship too? Oh yeah, his friendship getting put. Because Dave, I did know I couldn't do that. <laughs> no, it's it's like it, that's the kind of special that made me realize like it just like it flows together so perfectly too. Yeah. And I haven't even noticed that in other people's stand up specials. Like there are parts where it's just like you know kind of disjointed, but like killing them softly is like perfectly put together hour of comedy. Yeah. And it's really great. This follow up right after that, I'm forgetting the name of it right now. 
That's also really good, and I haven't even seen his Netflix specials yet, which seems like ridiculous. I really liked them. You did? Yes. Okay, then I need to watch him. But There's I some just, stuff in there that is... I, I understand. Some people got like offended by some of the shit he was talking about. Oh, yeah. And they said it didn't age well, and like he's not changing his gimmick, and like whatever. And I understand that critique, but like I think if you know like what his voice is, you know that it's not 100% true. Like he's not just saying that literally. He's There's always like some kind of satire behind it. Yeah, and, and I, I just, feel like it still works. I feel like his delivery and just kind of the the way he moves around too is just it feels like so natural. He feels like to me not only do I love killing them softly the most out of any special, but it's he seems like one of the most if not the most like natural stand-up comedian I've ever. He's been doing it since he was like 17. Yeah, he's really good. So that's that's my number 1. Um, what do you have for honorable mentions? I'm, instead oh, you of got like ninety five, instead of <laughs> instead of telling stories, I'm just going to name as many as I can because I have so many that I like. All right. So I'm going to say um, Bill Burr, David Tell, Greg Giraldo, Pat Oswalt, Bill Hicks, um, Chappelle. Okay. Let okay. I'll cut you off for a second. Okay. What did you think about Pat Oswalt's latest special? I think it was on Netflix. It came out like maybe six months ago. I liked it. Okay. I I I don't know. I was like a little disappointed. It's okay. I guess I like Pat Oswald, but I I don't know. I always like uh, like I think it was a little bit different in that like he was l- not. I don't know how to describe it. It was almost like he was l- less edgy and more concerned with like how the audience would respond to things. Yeah, he had a joke about a ringtone, which felt so weirdly dated. And then he even said at the end of the bit, and it was way too long of a bit, he's like, oh, I almost lost you on that one. And I was like, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I can see that. Yeah. But I think he, like, my weakness is strong, and, like, some of his earlier ones are so good. Yeah. Then it's That's like, true. he's already earned his card to me. But um, Hannibal Burris, I don't know if I said his name. Hannibal Burris is funny as He's fuck. He's really funny. Yeah, I had Chelsea trouble. Peretti. Chelsea Peretti is pretty funny. Extremely funny. Um, Brian Posehn, Brian Regan, Joe DeRosa. I like Gilbert Gottfried. Like he, his dirty jokes. Keith just showed me this like less than a year ago. Uh huh. Maybe the most I've ever laughed. Well, his delivery with him is so funny. He's too. so good. I like Bo Burnham. I like Sarah Silverman. Sarah Silverman's good. Uh, Mitch Hedberg, Chris Rock, Nick Kroll, Aziz Ansari, Sinbad, Kumail Nanjiani. I haven't watched Kumail's stand-up specials. Betamail? You ever seen Betamail? No. I heard it. It's good. Alright, I need to watch it because he's funny as fuck. And I also, he's got like a new movie coming out. Maybe it's already come out. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's supposed to be good. I don't think it's out yet. Yeah, I need to... That's a true... That. That's, like, based on what actually happened yeah. to him and his wife. And it's getting, like, awesome reviews. And I also think Jim Jeffries is... Oh, great. he's good, if nothing else, for the gun bit. That gun bit is timeless. Yeah, that's, like, one of the best bits. And I also... You said it a couple ago, but... I kind of did a 180 on Aziz and Sorry. Like, initially on Parks and Recreation, I found him just kind of irritating. Well, yeah. But he's a funny stand-up. No, he's funny. He is. I didn't like him as much. Like, he has a tendency to go towards that, like... I know it's funny. Like, I almost give him credit for, like, turning it into something funny, but 
when he's like, oh yeah, I hung out with Kanye, or like, it's basically like him talking about hanging out with like super famous people. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, okay, whatever. I tend to more identify with like the degenerates of stand-up comedy where they're like, like that, like if I could pick one bit that I thought was the funniest thing and like the thing I've laughed at the most, it would probably be when Louis C.K. is talking about when he was smoking weed with those kids in Kansas City. When he didn't realize, like, how strong weed had become yeah. since he smoked it. And he's talking about, like, back in the 70s, like, bad company hits. And he's, like, he starts singing, like, bad company songs. And he's talking about, like, how he used to be able to smoke all day. And he's like, now I take one hit and I'm standing there, like, oh, I'm holding my hands weird. Like, I know it's weird, but, like, and then he just, like, when he leaves, he turns around. He's like, bye! And, like, he turns around and leaves. That is, oh, that man, to bro. me, that's, like, the quintessential thing where I'm like, yes, I have felt that awkward. I understand what you're saying. Like, that's what I think is so funny. Yes. Is that, like, you are famous and you have so much more money than I'll ever see, but you still have those same kind of things happen to you. Yeah. That's, like, the crux of it to me. No, being able to describe, like, the same, like, emotional palette or whatever that you have and being relatable is, like, that's what makes a good stand-up connect. And that's what Louis C.K., like, figured out how to do. Yeah. Um, some of mine, I have David Cross, Jerry Seinfeld, Hannibal Burris, Eddie Murphy. We saw Michael Che. He was pretty funny. Although he kind of had like about 40 minutes of material, but stretched it to an hour. But what he had Resourceful. Yes. <laughs> Sarah Silverman, Jim Jeffries, Aziz Ansari, Chris Rock, and Bill Burr. Nice. So a lot of the same. We had some overlap. Yes. Bill Burr is really funny. Bill Burr is really I'm funny. I'm underrating him because like, he has tendencies that don't align with me. Yeah, well, I watched, I was watching a stand-up special, his stand-up special with Maggie, and not like she was that offended, but she, she was starting to get like, oh, okay. That's like, how, yeah, Lisa's yeah. skin. I think and like, I don't really blame her. Like he's No, I don't either. I can watch it, but like, I think it just crosses the line where Maggie's like, eh. I feel like, honestly, he, like, this is easy for me to say, because it's not directed at me, Yeah, but like, I feel like he's, being purposefully less sensitive to make a point. Yeah. Like, I think if you cornered him or if you t- caught him, like, where he's not on and not performing, like, he would say, man, that's bullshit. I but, would, like, I think yeah. some of it is, like, he's just, like, I want to make this point, so I'm going to be, I'm just going to go, like, an extra, like, eight steps. Yeah. He you know what that. I mean? He even, like, even when he's saying it in his stand-up specials, he says it with, like, a, Sometimes, like, a pained face. Yeah. As if, like, like he knows, like, okay. Like, he made some, like, kind of, like, domestic abuse joke. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Was, he like, did the thing where he was talking about, like, he's like, you never hit a girl. And he's like, that he would, like, follow that up with, like, but if. But if you did, you gotta, like, you gotta stay inside, you gotta stay low, and then you come up, like, with the yeah. uppercut, and, like, goes into the He's, like, always, like, it's something about, like, his face when he's, like, he knows, like, ugh. Yeah. And then, but he does it anyway. But he like does he have... Always, he always kind of does that. I feel like I underrate him more now because, like, he does... Like, if we put together, like, the top five most memorable bits or, like, routines, mm-hmm. he's had stuff where, like, that's going to stick with me where, like, he'll openly talk about things like... He's like... Everybody thinks at some point about, like, offing yourself, right? Like, he'll just, like, do a bit about yeah. committing suicide where it's like... That's a fucked up subject, like, 
subject that not a lot of people are willing to talk about. Right. And he's just like, I'm going to go for it. And he'll be like, yeah, everyone, you know, you, you know, you get home late and you're just like, you sit down, there's nothing good on TV and you're just like, or he's talking about like he promised his girlfriend he would make a pie for Thanksgiving. <laughs> and then when he realized like all the work that went into making the pie, he's like, why don't I just hang myself from the ceiling fan? <laughs> and it's like that kind of thing where I'm just like, Nobody, uh, most yeah. comedians won't bring that up. No. Right? Like, and he's just like, that's funny. Because a lot of people do have those kind of fucked up thoughts. Yeah. You know, like, and they just don't want to talk about it. And I will say he's, I've, I've had like enough moments with like his stand-up specials where I like, I have like laughed like. Yeah. A lot. He's got your laugh per joke. He does. Rating. All right. So if uh, you have a favorite top five comedian that we missed. You can let us know at our email, that's whiskeysessionsmusic at gmail.com, or you can hit us up on our Twitter feed, that's at whiskeysessions. Now we're going to get to your emails now. It's time for emails. You sent us emails to read emails, and now we'll read them. All right, B-Pimp, what do you got for us? We, this week, are blessed to have a message from Stefan from Linwood, Washington. Linwood, Washington? Yeah. Oh, that's a place. Yeah, so, um, Stefan writes, I love the show, can't get enough of that B-Pimp, even got my wife, Laura, listening now, who is developing a bit of a man crush on him. We even have some inside jokes now from all those classic B-Pimp one-liners. I kind of like this one. Wait, my wife... Laura is developing a man crush on him? Man, I don't know what that means. That doesn't make sense. Maybe Laura's a man? I don't know. Said, I don't want to judge. Know. Yeah, but... Uh, Alright. Who knows? I was wondering, though, if you had the choice, which part of the human centipede would you least want to be? Mm. So that's not really what I was expecting. No, I, I didn't expect that question going that way, but I have prepared an answer for that. Just in case. Do you want me to read? Wrong. He's got a PS. Do you want me to read that, or do you want to do oh, your yeah, answer yeah, no, first? Oh, no, yeah, no, okay. Yes. So, another P.S. Um, in case you're wondering, for me, I think it would be the end of the chain because you don't even get to have your butt wiped clean after the shit. So, I don't think I'd be able to reach to wipe either while on my knees. Nothing gets me madder than being stuck with some mud butt all day. Yeah, I mean, truthfully, the front is the best. How could it not be? Yeah, because you only have one... Well, the well, on the back, you only have one thing going on, but your... Your mouth isn't there. Yeah. Probably, yeah, you're probably right. Here's a question for you, though. So, you got the front is the best. Do you think, like, say how long, I don't know how long the centipede would be. Say it's, like, ten people. Wow. It's pretty long. Pretty long. Do you think there's a discernible difference? If you're in the middle, you're just in the middle from two to second to last. Does it matter? No. The only thing that could matter at that point is, like, if you get into, like, the diets of the people that are in the line. Right. If somebody only eats, like, rallies <laughs> oh, or no. something, like, I may not want that. Like, and then if somebody else is, like, vegan or only eats but then they're healthy more, stuff. Right? Well, yeah, they have more flatulence and more, but they would be not as disgusting. That's true. Okay, right? I can see that. So, what you are saying is that you're okay with this human centipede as long as everybody's vegan. No, I'm not saying that. No, I'm saying like <laughs> I'm saying once I get to the point where I'm like I have to be in it, uh -huh. I'm gonna maybe like try to find the guy who's like a mountain climber and like right. eats a lot of protein and isn't just eating like Arby's, even though I love Arby. 
centipedes. Although, I see, now I feel like the implication, though, is if you're going to be in a human centipede, you're probably not picking the people that you get to be No, with. I'm just hoping that on that's what I... Okay. Maybe. All right, but good question. It's like blind faith. I think very clearly the front is the best. Yeah, front is the best. Yeah. Um, also, what is wrong with you? Why did you ask us that? <laughs> Uh, Alright, here we have uh, another email. What up, Wiscos? I like that. I like that. I like that a lot. Uh, great podcast uh, on the countries that you want to go to. Here are the countries I want to go to. Bolivia, Bulgaria, Belgium, Belize, Bangladesh. From Barrie in Boston. Huh. As a B. As a B. Um... You down with that? I'm, I'm in. I'm into this. I'm kind of wondering why I couldn't come up with a country names. No, I like. I like this. I like this train of thought. All right. Well, here's a question going off that, and he's not asking this. But out of Bolivia, Bulgaria, Belgium, Belize, and Bangladesh, which of those countries would you like to go to the most? Bulgaria. Bulgaria. Yeah, it seems kind of cool. I actually kind of like those like weird European countries. Yeah, I've been there, to a there couple was a of them. Big. Metal concert with Metallica, Slayer, Megadeth, and Anthrax there. Oh. And Sophia. Cool. The capital. They did, like... So I'm gonna, like, go there and be like, this is where all of my favorite bands were. I'm sure they appreciate metal there, too. Yeah. Alright, well, if you have an email you'd like to send us, go ahead and send it along to whiskeysessionsmusic at gmail.com, and we will read it on air. But we are signing off for this episode, so thank you for tuning in. This is Amets. And be him. Peace out. We're two miles.